Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this week, I'm catching up with Melbourne-based artist Tom Adair. How you going, Tom? Good, Tom. <laughs> good. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Two Toms. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on. It's good that we could finally get together and have a chat. I know. We've been talking about it for a while. Yeah. It's, uh, even it, even when we were sharing studios, like didn't get around to it, and then now you've left and got your, another studio and had to drag you all the way back here yeah. to do an interview. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. <laughs> so uh, how'd you um, get into art? Like, I guess we'll start at the beginning, eh? Um. I think when I was in primary school, I, all I wanted to do was just draw um, everything and basically just went from there. So it was always something I gravitated towards. And, you know, it was always, I remember vividly, like, I know it's early, but like grade three um, art class, doing, doing like plastering and just all weird materials and techniques and just mucking around with all that stuff. And it, I don't know, it always sort of just um, sung to me whenever I was learning at school. and. Um, then throughout high school, did a lot of um, graphic uh, communication and visual arts and building tech. So that was all hands-on creative drawing. It was kind of pre-Photoshop and Illustrator days, so it was very hands-on sort of learning. Ruler and pencil. Yeah, a lot yeah. of that. Eraser. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'd basically just spend every single lunchtime at school just in the arts class doing whatever I could using the materials I had and drawing and painting and building stuff, guitars, furniture, whatever. Just anything I thought of, I'd just make it. So that was sort of, um, I guess, it, it showed me that I love creativity. Um, I was just naturally drawn to it. And then um, I left, left high school and didn't really do too much with art for a few years went and studied fashion and then kind of got into the graffiti scene a fair bit. Um, I think I met you through that originally and um, yeah, a bunch of other guys and I was never really that great at it, but I loved going out on the missions and painting and then going back and getting flicks and stuff the next day. That was all, all pretty fun. Um, and then I ended up getting in a fair bit of trouble with the police. So I went to court and did all that and realized that if I wanted to have a career and be able to travel and do all that, I kind of needed to either get smarter about it or give it up. So I decided to give it up. And then I had, um, I just still needed to have a creative outlet. So I got canvases and artboards and I started painting them and sold them to friends and family and then friends of friends. And just kind of, I was doing it just cause I love doing it and needed the outlet. And, um, yeah, I guess that's really where the art started for me. Um, and I just started exploring different techniques in the studio rather than out on the street. Yeah. Um, never really had a particular style. I just, I don't know, riff off stuff I saw on the internet and make my own sort of stuff up. And um, never had any formal education with art. Um, I studied fashion at RMIT. That was sort of my formal education. Um, and yeah, so that's sort of how it all started. Mm. 
So when you got in uh, in trouble, I didn't know you got busted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get in uh, a lot of trouble, or oh, like enough to go, enough to deter you, eh? Uh, yeah, enough to deter me. I got um, had to go into court. Had to um, was good behaviour bond, I think, and had to go back and paint the whole side of the factory, which was a bit of a pain in the ass. But <laughs> yeah, had to do it. So yeah. It's sort of weird getting in trouble for art, you know. Once you once you're further down your art career and you're doing it for a living, mm. like looking back at it and go, "Oh, I can't believe I, I used to get in trouble for this, and now it's you know it's what you do for a living." Yeah, yeah, it is a bit like that. <laughs> yeah, and people get paid a lot of money to paint murals on the sides of walls now. Yeah, so, exactly, exactly. I don't know, tables have turned a little bit since back in those days. Yeah. So um, so you've recently uh, chucked in your job to um pursue your art full time yeah um it's quite a, a new thing for you like um like how's all that going for you uh yeah it's going really well so far i'm only um oh, really two months into it uh, it's something that had been playing on my mind for a while i never really started doing art as a means to as a job mm. it was just something i loved doing so i did it it was a bit of extra cash whatever um, but it was more just the creativity. Um, and at the start of this year, I had had um, an opportunity to do a design, like an Australian design fair called Denfair. And I did that, bought myself a stand in the gallery area, set up all my artworks and painted those, you know, outside of my work hours where I was working pretty crazy hours. So I'd do nine to five at the at the office and then straight to the studio after and stay here till midnight or one o'clock in the morning painting for, I don't know, must have been eight weeks trying to get all my work together on time for this fair. And um, did that, had a really great response with all the interior designers and architects and everything who I was trying to pitch it to. And um, got some interest from uh, Metro Gallery as well, which turned into um, an opportunity for a solo show, which was pretty cool. But that that whole um, period where I was working really hard to get all the work together, um, people at work actually noticed how much art I was doing, and they kind of pulled me aside and said, "Hey, you know, what what are your intentions?" And at the time, I was a little bit annoyed when they asked me. Um, I mean, I can see it from their point of view because they want someone coming into work fresh and ready to go but on the flip side like I can kind of do whatever I want outside of work hours um, it's up to me what I want to do and straight after that I ended up going on um, holidays for two weeks and it, it just didn't sit right with me and um, just really gave me a point where I could step back from my job and the art and realized that I love doing art and I'm not going to stop painting art and my job is my job but you know I need to um need to take that leap at some point and really focus on it so mm. I went back to work and resigned <laughs> good on um, you yeah it was it's I think I spoke to you about it for mm. a number of times over yeah. the last probably 12 months about how you did it and yeah, I didn't know you were going through all that though. Yeah. Like that they were like sort of scrutinising you for it. Because if you think about it, if you uh, if you said, "Oh, I've I've got a newborn baby and I'm exhausted from it," 
they'll be patting you on the back and going, oh, congratulations, mate, and this and that. Oh, we're, we're here with you. Yeah. But because you're pursuing a, your dreams outside of the workplace, I don't know. I, I get where they're coming from, from a business point of view, but I think the same time they should be supporting you and um, trying to sort of, I don't know, I don't know, see if you want to cut your hours back and bring that creativity into your job. Yeah, well, that's what ultimately that's what I wanted to do was try and have more creativity at work. Like it was, it's quite a creative role that I had. I was working mm. at um, a furniture company in charge of all their homewares. So it wasn't a boring job, but I felt like the two went hand in hand really well. Um, and I explained that to them. I said, you know, I, I don't want to have to choose. It's I love my job and I love doing the art, um, but they kind of wasn't an ultimatum but in a way it was and for me it just it made sense to do it then so was it a long road to actually start thinking oh i want to quit my job to then actually quitting it or was it all happened quite quickly um oh there was a few complications with being able to just do it straight away i i wanted to do it straight away but there was um i had some travel booked in for work that i couldn't really get out of um there was a show with Metro that I, I kind of needed my job security for that. So um, just to see how the whole Metro thing went with the solo show. Um, didn't really want to pull the pin too early. And I guess that's sort of been my my thought process behind leaving my job is making sure that I'm comfortable with my art and making money off my art before I pull the pin too early. And just knowing that I've got income ready to go and I never intended to build it up to a business but it kind of just naturally organically grew to become a business of art yeah yeah that's one of the biggest regret for me for making the switch was I didn't have any savings like um you know I was put in a situation in the workplace where uh you know I pretty much walked off a job and said that's it I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and luckily for me, I had an exhibition lined up and it was like, gee, I hope this exhibition goes well. And it did. And that got me through the first couple of months. And then I just never looked back from there. But yeah. but there was like, there were times where it was really tough where it was like, man, if I had some savings right now, things would be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was good to see that you, you, know, you got your savings together and and all that. But then there's a flip side of that. Whereas if, if you've got all this money to live off, we just live off that and not really go for it properly. Yeah, exactly. Are, you know. Yeah, it it is a bit of a trade off. Mm. Um, I feel like I've, I've I've made the right decision, and I feel like I've I've got enough security to be able to do it, but I've also got enough drive, and um, I guess not not a security net. It like I don't know. Mm. That doesn't really make sense, but um, no, I know what you mean. It's it's that. Um, it's that nothing's set in stone like yeah. it's all unknown there's mm. n- I haven't got a job coming in next week that is going to pay the bills and you know a regular recurring payment it's just um, yeah I'm exactly the same yeah. I go from month to month you know and like my money runs out and I'm like looking at I've got the mortgage due and all that sort of stuff and dwindles away and then it just all dwindles of a away and then, yeah and then, then suddenly the phone rings or an email comes through and it's like game on again and yeah. now that I've done it enough that I've, I've got 100% faith that it's always going to come off yeah and it's uh, I just got to keep working yeah it's when you sit back and you you're at home like dwelling on it or just walk you know in the studio not producing anything that's when things 
you know, don't work for the, Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Because you're not being proactive. Mm. But um, you know, it's a real, it's a mind game as well. Yeah. Like self belief <laughs> is like you doubt yourself so many times. If you get caught up in that, you're just not going to produce work either. Mm, yeah. But the thing that I found that's really helped as well is I, 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 you know, rationalize it in my head and go, all right, worst case scenario, what's the worst thing I'll, I can, I'll, you know, that'll happen to me? It's like, oh, I'll go out and get some like temp work or mm. freelance work or whatever. And exactly. It's like, it's not that bad. Uh, that was, that was you know, also my thought process. Like if, if it gets down to it after two years of giving it a red hot go, mm. I can't do it, then I'll just go and find another job. Mm. Yeah, it's not the end of the world, is it? No, <laughs> it's not. It's, and it's it's an amazing feeling being on your own and running your own hours and um, being responsible for yourself. Um, I think I'm also lucky I've got a pretty good routine. So I'm always up at sort of 5, 5.30 every morning off to the gym and take a dog for a walk meditation and into the office or studio by um, sort of 9, 9.30 and get a full day and ready to go and... Yeah, just having that that process every day um, has really set me up. I think just from having like a career, I guess, um, mm. those sort of nine to five hours has sort of drilled that into me to yeah. just get sorted, ready to go. Yeah, I know it's, I'm the same. I've got, I'm pretty routine as well and it's, I love it. Like I've got um, friends who I, I know that aren't routine mm. and they just, I don't know, I don't know how they get it done or how they get by, but yeah. they are, you know, they sort of wake up at 11 yeah, you know, have a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> go go down to the cafe, get some breakfast, and you know what I mean. Like nothing's really happening till like you know five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it's like gee, how do, how do you do make a living? Anything. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I like to have all my um all my things set up for the day. So I know when I wake up, I know the things I got to tick off for that day and get that finished for the week. So mm. yeah, yeah. So when you had your um full time job, was there um. Like, do you sort of see yourself being there for the next, like, like 10 plus years? Uh, it was never... Having a, a time period on my job was never something I thought about. It was a job that I liked to turn up to. Um, and the art was just something that was sort of in the background and just sort of a creative outlet outside of my work um, 9 to 5. And I guess just towards the end of it there, it's, at some point it just really dawned on me that I didn't want to be sitting in front of a computer screen every day nine to five working for someone else. Um, there was a moment that I distinctly remember um, after I was asked about um, my intentions that I was looking at an Excel spreadsheet and just doing the numbers for, for all the stuff that I had to buy and sell. And I just thought to myself, what am I doing? Like I'm looking at a computer screen, looking at numbers for someone else and all I want to do is be in the studio mm. and I think that was that was probably one of the, the moments that I remember most vividly of wanting to leave um, but in in that whole lead up um, from from uh, deciding that I wanted to go from work to be a full time artist I just I did a lot of research so I listened to a lot of podcasts a lot of your podcasts are actually really helpful oh, one of those early ones yeah that were it's just interesting getting insight from other like-minded artists. Um, and then I read another book over and over. It's called um, The War of Art. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of it? Yeah, I have. I've never read it, though. Um, a lot of people have mentioned it. I'll loan it to you. It's, yeah. um, I reckon I've read it five times, and it's every time I get something else out of it, 
Um, I actually just finished it again on the weekend, and it's it's an amazing book. Basically, it just says fight your resistance, go and do what you want to do, don't get caught up with it, and if you do it, things are just going to keep on rolling. Like mm. it's like you were saying before, you know, if you um if you feel like you're running short on work, and then all of a sudden, you know, an email comes in, and you got a job, like that's that just is a result of doing your work and. The more you do it, the more work's going to come to you. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I think that was that was really helpful in um, me making a decision to to leave. Mm. So. Yeah, because yeah, I was on a holiday, um, you know, a couple of months ago, and I was going through my phone, and I there was like I've got an old listing app, app a listing app yeah. where it has um, you know, I don't know, you just write list things as paperless. Yeah. And then um, what do you use? Uh, paperless is okay. the app. Yeah. yeah. And then I found this thing, and it said my goals for 2014 so they would have been written in 2013 yeah and i remember like that was a big year for me i was moving to spain and just all this sort of stuff was happening and nowhere on the list to say um become an artist Mm. it was just like in my head i was still just it it wasn't a possibility it was like oh well as if that's gonna happen you Mm. know so it was like uh my brain hadn't switched into that whole um mentality of like you know, pursue my dreams and, and at least give them a go. Because if you don't give them a go, yeah, you're going to be laying on your deathbed going, I should have given that a go. Yeah, that, that was know? also something that um, was a factor for me. Like, I, I didn't want to get to 60 years old and turn around and going, God, I might have been able to be an artist. Mm. But if you don't give it a go, you're never going to know. So, yeah. you know, there's always jobs out there if, if I need to do something else again. Yeah. I'm employable, so it's yeah. all good. It's funny that you mentioned that you were... Um, uh, staring at Excel spreadsheets as well because I've always oh, I've always joked had a joke with my <laughs> wife about like spreadsheets because she used to have to deal with spreadsheets for a living yeah and I'd be like it doesn't matter how bad my job is at least I'm not staring at <laughs> spreadsheets but now I've actually like I've actually got a lot of spreadsheets that I use now yeah. but it's all to sort of track my um cash flow but also work out where all my paintings yeah, are I'd at have, the moment have the same sort of setup yeah because I've like, I tell you what I've I've worked out I've got like probably about 75 paintings that aren't sold yet that are in different various locations mm. and it's so easy for them to just sort of go out of out of your mind and just be like oh you never see it again and yeah, you, totally. you never think about it again but then you know that someone's got that painting and they might sell it and pocket all the cash or yeah, not something like that, that. And especially it's like, if they're not local exactly mm. yeah yeah I've got a lot of paintings that are interstate as well and it's like you know you got to you got to know where everything is. It. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. That was some advice that I got from from an artist um, a few months back. Just make sure you manage your inventory because at the end of the day, like that's that's what you make and that's how you make your money. So don't let it go missing. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So one thing I've always found with you, like just through sharing studio space with you and just watching your work, like you always work with different materials to mm. like the standard, you know, like paint on canvas or whatever you know you're always sort of sourcing different um different materials to work with and sort of approaching art in a different way yeah do you think that comes from um your background working in furniture and all that and just like just sort of uh you know having your hand in manufacturing and seeing different stuff happening definitely um yeah so my my career is i guess product development for homewares type products um everything from art to like working with artists to produce art, ceramics, textiles, bedding, 
uh, cushions, rugs. It's all all sort of quite a mixed media type of product that I worked with. And throughout working with those products, I'd often come across certain materials that I go, oh, that'd be interesting to paint on that. Or that'd be interesting if you could frame something in a different way than the sort of standard. So I think that's definitely had an influence on the way that I produce art. Um, in some ways, I kind of view my artworks as products, if that's not too commercial. Um, they're, not, they're not actually a product, but in a way, they kind of, I manufacture them to be a one-off piece. Yeah. Um, and, and they do, when you see them up close, they're all very well finished. Um, they're, they're quite high quality. They've got beautiful materials. Um, don't cut back on any of the stuff that I used to actually produce them. So I feel like it, it's manufactured to a, a certain degree, but also has a, that art hand-painted element to it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that with you. Like, And also the the products you use to... Uh, you know, to get the finish that you're really looking for as well, you you invest in that yeah. like, quite heavily. Yeah, it, you know, I was thinking about that on the way here actually. Yeah. Um, that it would be hard for the average artist just to be able to afford the materials that I work with. And luckily, I, with having a career like that, I've been able to experiment with some more high end materials. Um, it's something I really enjoy, and I feel like it it adds another level to my work that other people aren't doing. But now you're at that level and you're self-employed. Do you feel that like you need to invest in those high mater- high-end materials to sort of, I guess, maintain your art career and move forward with it? Because if you were to sort of say go backwards and start using cheaper materials and cutting costs, like, do you think your yeah, art wouldn't pack a punch like it does? No, I don't think so. Um, I've I've got a few um, ideas in my mind at the moment that I'm about to start experimenting in the studio actually this weekend. Um, that don't involve expensive materials. They're just sort of back to standard ply boards and painted surfaces. Um, I still will use neon lights on that stuff, just in a slightly different way. Mm. So, um, yeah, it just kind of came became apparent that all those expensive materials were costing a lot, and being self-employed, I think I've become more uh, cost-savvy. Yeah. and just realise that I need to try and lower costs where I can but still um, try and get the same effect. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely something I'm still going to keep doing but just be a bit more mindful and not so um, flippant about spending money when, yeah, I need to sort of save it. And mm. There's a fine line, I think. Like, we, me personally, I, I've worked out how, like... You know what I spend on each painting or whatever, and it, it, it adds up. Mm. Like I've, I clocked up a, a massive bill with the woodwork guy downstairs yeah. last year, but that was off the back of a few exhibitions and stuff like that. But um, but I know that in order to uh, produce the work at the level I want, I need to invest in it. And then when you see the price tag on the actual artwork, the the materials don't actually seem like that that much in the mm. you know. But it's just, you just need to have confidence that you're going to sell the work. Yeah, and that's um, that's why I do invest in the materials because mm. I know that I've got a higher price ticket on my work, and I'll get that money back. So it's not I'm not just spending it and sitting in the studio like most of my work is painted for a purpose or a commission or yeah, um, yeah. I don't have a lot of spare artworks just sitting around in the studio, which 
I guess is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I, to get the effect that I want, then it does cost a bit of money. Mm. So happy to invest in my art. Yeah, totally. And you've um you've always had like sort of alternative channels to selling your work as well. Like you sell you know you sell stuff through galleries as well. But like I don't know you've you've always had different places to sell artwork that, uh, you know compared to say the standard artists you know yeah like how have you gone about um you know finding all those contacts um i think it was just through my job so working with a retail store sort of opened my eyes to an alternative means of selling art i might one of my jobs is to source artists for the store and actually acquire their art so we could then resell it through the store or represent them as not represent represent but represent them in a retail sense um and it actually proved quite tricky to get good artists that weren't already signed so it was quite a challenge in itself but um it really opened my eyes to how people purchase art outside of a gallery and that's that sort of led me in this this whole art career i think um Interior designers have a, a massive play on what art goes into people's houses. So do architects. Um, and that's sort of what I found at work. So we'd, we'd get people coming to work and, you know, they'd buy four or five artworks all at once and it'd be, you know, 20 grand, hmm. 30 grand worth of art. And it was just prints, photographs, whatever. And you'd get a couple of them per week or, you know, quite a few of them. And it adds up. And that's another market that is just kind of untapped in the, I guess, the Australian art world. I mean, people do sell to interior designers, but um, I don't think many people in the sort of street art scene that I'm aware of are actually actively targeting interior designers. Mm. Yeah, because you were saying that, um, you know, before we did the interview that you... um you know, some uh, graphic design blog, like, blogged about your artwork and it went went nuts yeah yellow trace um they i sent i sent them a dm on instagram just of photo of my house that i'd just recently finished building um hoping to try and maybe get a bit of a story about that and it was at the time of the metro solo exhibition and i didn't even mention that to them and they, they wrote back and said oh, i just noticed you've got an exhibition coming up looks pretty cool so yeah it's not bad and then um a week passed and got contacted by them again and they're like oh we've actually had a look at your exhibition we've fallen in love with one of your pieces and we we're going to buy it and I was like oh that's cool and um next minute on the day of my exhibition they they launched this huge like story on their Instagram they put on their website they did an email blast out to their I don't know how many people 100,000 people or something in Australia to all the top end architects and designers and it just went crazy got all these followers on Instagram got emails from all around the world, New York and London and Hong Kong and all these designers contacted me about getting work into some of the projects and pitching it for their clients. And um, that's definitely something I'm pursuing. So the, the interior design avenue is pretty lucrative market. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you're really fortunate to have your foot in, in there, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, I think I was exposed I'd ask to you, that. actually. Yeah. So, I Tom, was, hook us up. <laughs> well, I was exposed to it through um, working with Jardin. They, um, that's where my previous employment was. They're an Australian-made furniture company. Um, and they've got excellent relationships with 
all the designers from around Australia, and um, it just it, that that whole um, that whole scene became became quite clear to me. Uh, it was never something I did to try and pinch any clients or do any of that sort of stuff, but I became aware of that market. And without working at Jardin, I never would have fully understood it um, and sort of what what amount of money they can spend on art and how they use it in their projects and how they pitch it and mm. you know the lead times for it and how to actually work with designers and give them what they want yeah now I guess if you're um say you're doing a new build so you're you're working with the architect you've done a new build and then you've got to do the fit out like all of those those processes are so expensive yeah so then when you just get to the art part it seems really expensive if you isolate that that expense but when you put it on top of everything else that's happening it's actually not that expensive is no it? it's not you know although i did just finish my house and i've pretty much the only art i've got in my house is um mine and a, a toby poller and um a cody you know, they're like the, oh, i've got michael staniak pieces in there as well but they're, they're like the only pieces we've got in so got to um try and get some more yeah yeah i'm sure you'll do it yeah eventually <laughs> yeah slowly collect it yeah so having watched you produce your art, like um, you've got a real interesting process about um, you know going about making your art. Like, do you want to explain like what your process is and what your art actually looks like as well for people that don't know? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I guess in a nutshell, my artwork is airbrushed um, half tone on a dive on surface with uh, neon lights over the top of it, and it, it is quite a process to get from the start to a finish pace. Um, I go out and source architecture, um, mainly mid-century, but also Art Deco. I've got modern houses. Uh, I've got public buildings that I've painted, um, high-rises for a recent commission. Um, so anything to do with architecture, really. And I'll go and photograph it with a digital camera. Um, I've got. I've been self-taught in um, photography for... I don't know, the last 10 years. So I sort of worked my way through all that and learned to understand that process. Once you get the, the images correct, I'll put them on the computer and then run through a bunch of different filters through um, Photoshop and um, photo processing software and get the halftone and then project that onto a dye bond surface, which is like an architectural... Um, it's an aluminium composite, so it's very stiff, very light. Um, you can screw into it, which is good for the neons and mounting all that stuff onto it. And yeah, so once the image is projected, I'll um, sit there for a number of hours with a, an airbrush and paint all the little dots um, one by one. And it can range from anywhere between, I don't know, eight to 30 hours, depending on the size of the piece. Um, and I design neon lights in a way that sort of sculpt the building um, so they'll accentuate certain features of it or line work or um, certain architectural details and then once they're they're done they'll get screwed to the front of the board and wired up and then I drop a um, an acrylic case over the top of it yeah and that's um pretty much it <laughs> now you switch it on yeah it's weird actually um like describing something so visual uh you know all, all by um you know with words yeah if you know what i mean yeah it's hard to do but um 
that yeah, I've I've shown alongside Tom, and uh, he always steals the show because he, especially with the neons and everything, and just the finish on everything, it's um, yeah, they're pretty glitzy. Yeah, they're really glitzy. It's yeah. like um, I don't know. I guess every, when you when you walk into the the gallery, everyone's like a a mosquito just going yeah, straight to the it's neons. Exactly you know, ones like, I liken them to a um little bug catcher sometimes. Yeah, we just get drawn into them. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. It's um yeah they're they're real uh real highlights. Yeah, it's a um the the process of doing it. It's been quite a a long process, and there's been certain artworks that I've done over the journey, probably the last five six years that um have sort of all uh, congregated at this one point. So it was never I never just thought of it and created it. It was the airbrush was one separate thing, the neon was a separate thing, the framing was something else completely. Um, the surfaces that I had to paint on, I experimented with all that to try and get it right. Went from canvas to MDF to all these different materials, and it finally came around. And uh, I think I must have had, I don't know, ten different goes at trying to produce it, and then finally I got the got the right one, and it really really worked. Yeah, yeah, it worked well for me when you decided not to use canvas. You gave me all your canvases. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've still got them in here, actually. I've painted a few of them. I'm yeah, really happy with them. Don't miss stretching them up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, you're saying that because I have seen you work um, individually with all those mediums. Like, I remember when you were doing your halftones, but then you had the, um, you know, the neon skateboards that you did. Yeah. And then it's, it is really a combination of all that, mm. that stuff, and I hadn't actually thought about that until you said it. Yeah. Uh, the, the halftone originally came around. I had a group show to... He was down at Bayside Gallery, um, and I had had to have the work in like, in like 24 hours or 48 hours or something crazy. Had no idea what I was going to do, and then I'd just done the airbrush course, and um, had a brand new airbrush sitting there, and a brand new blank canvas, and I don't know how it happened, but projected it on, and I spent the next 30 hours painting that that first one, and that was really the um, the gateway to to where it started. Like. You use a lot of neons, like, like what's it like actually working with neons, and like, and like, how do they actually work? Because I don't, I don't know much about them. Like, I've seen the finished product, and I've seen yeah. you screwing them on and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But do you like, do you have to order them in, or do you bend, bend them yourself, or like, like, how does that all work? Yeah, sure. I at the moment I'm not making my own neons to screw directly to my artwork, um, just because it takes a long time to learn how to do it properly and create them in a way that they're going to have longevity um, and I wouldn't want to sell artwork to someone that I'm uncertain about how long it'll last so I work with um, a guy that I've been uh, sort of mentored by with Neon Knights, been working with him for 10 years, over 10 years and um, he's taught me how to, to start bending the, the glass itself, it comes in a, a long clear stick um, or a powdered stick of glass. And essentially you just get a ribbon burner, which is gas and oxygen blowing out of it. And then you melt the glass and then bend it to the shape that you've got to lay out on the table for. Uh, once that's done, you have to weld on like an electrical electrode on the, each end of the glass tube. And what that does is it feeds a, a wire from inside the tube to outside the tube, which allows you to feed electrical current into the, the gassed glass tube and when the electricity runs through it ignites the gas and then burns it to a particular colour to 
depending on what sort of glass you've used or what sort of gas you've put in it. Mm. Crazy. Yeah. So um, <laughs> sounds complicated. It is. It is quite complicated. It's actually a really old um, technology. I think they started in the twenties. It's quite low heat, which is why they did it because it was a bright light, but low heat, and it just looks so futuristic. Like people, like I said before, they're just drawn to it. Look, it does look like a futuristic type of lighting, but it's so old. Mm. It's almost like a hundred years old. Yeah, it's like you know, like using fluoros in a painting or whatever to have pop and color and that and then you know when you use neons it's like it just brings it to a whole yeah. different level don't worry know. about highlights yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so you've um you've done a great job of like uh of marketing yourself like i've i've had conversations with people over the last few months your name keeps coming up and people i i, I don't think i've ever met you or anything it is talking about you and your art oh wow yeah how funny i know uh, but i know you take like <clears throat> marketing quite serious as well like um like, do you put a lot of importance, uh, like, on marketing yourself to build your career? Um, I guess I like to put out a, a certain amount of material that I guess the public can see on a regular basis. Um, owning businesses and working for businesses that are um, actively trying to grow their their sales and everything, I think that's really rubbed off on me. So... Yeah, I'm pretty aware of marketing and what needs to happen to try and get your name out there and create a profile for yourself. Um, whether or not I'm doing a good job of it, I'm not sure. I'm still pretty early in my art career. Um, but it's definitely something I'm focusing on. And um, I think just trying to do it organically is really good. So trying to get more of these sort of articles like the Yellow Trace article that you mentioned before. Uh, I've got a Vogue Living um, editorial coming up with the house and then combined with my artwork which is really cool um, and then there's also I've got some other things happening early next year online with more architecture type um, online blogs so I think just putting that stuff out there and then getting press releases out to magazines and really just putting your name out and saying you know this is what I do and mm. giving them imagery um, it, I think that's only going to help yeah it's it's really interesting, like the, this this whole other world that you you exist in, you know, like with you know, because I know, I know it's your background and all that, and I know yep. you've to you it seems quite normal, but like you know, I know I've done what 113 episodes of the podcast, and I've never spoken to anyone who has focused on the um, you know, architectural and interior design industry mm. to sell their art. It's yeah. like, but then when you go to those like um, fancy interior design shops, they always have really nice art hanging on the walls anyway. Mm. You know, it's, it's just interesting. Well, I've yeah. got to get it from somewhere. They do, they do. But I just, I don't know, it's, it's funny. I, after all these conversations, it's actually never it's crossed never over. Up. It's mm. never come up. Yeah. So yeah, cool. Anyway. So being the art like, has a commercial aspect to it and doesn't require traditional painting, like, um, like how do you go about developing your ideas? Um, a lot of my, a lot of my work is, um, it's very process based. Mm. I, I don't know. I feel very uncomfortable just freestyling drawings and going straight to a wall. If I was ever to go and do a graph, like I always wanted to have something to refer to. Um, so a lot of my work, I tend to mock up on the computer which um, it's just a medium that I'm really comfortable using um, I can quickly get an idea of what something's going to look like before I actually go and paint it um, so I do a bit of drawing since I 
quit my job and listening to your podcast. It's something I've actually picked up and started running with. So I started drawing a couple of times a week, which is nice just to try and grow that area of my creativity. Um, but yeah, I, I process most of my stuff on the computer first and then get an idea of what it's going to look like. And then I'll take that into the studio and then I'll organically try and paint it. Mm. That's good because, like, it's funny. I've spoken to a lot of people, like, people who aren't artists, you know, mm. and, I'll, and they'll ask me what I do for a living. I'll tell them I'm an artist and they'll say, oh, I'd love to do that, but I can't draw. And it's like, I don't think of all the, the, the process-driven artists in art history. I'm you terrible know. at drawing. Well, look at, look at Warhol. I know he did a lot of um, drawing early in his career and, mm. and painting and stuff like that, but if you look at how he made his name, it's through, like, screen printing and stuff. Like, yeah. You know, and... Like, there's a lot of artists out there who are process-driven artists who have made massive careers for themselves. Mm. Yeah, people say just because you can't draw, it, does, it means that you can't be an artist. And I think it's just, it's, it's not... It's not true at it's all. It's not true at all. It's how you, for me, it's how you look at things and how you approach them. And yeah. if you can create something that looks, it's a beautiful piece of work that you really love or someone else really loves, mm. that's all you need to do. And it doesn't matter if, how you make it. Like you could print it out off a printer if it's still a piece of art that you know you've thought about conceptually and you understand what it actually means to someone mm. then I th- you know I've got no problem with it yeah and I also think that a lot of people think that um, to do art they just automatically think of photorealism mm. or like you know the um, renaissance art or something like that yeah. and if you can't paint like that you can't do art yeah. and it's like it, there's so many different types of art you oh, can do art you know. has grown into I don't know, it's such a different beast these days. There's so many different materials and techniques and technologies and everything you can use to produce it. Yeah. I just see it as output of style. Yeah. You know, ideas and style. Yep. You know, think of something and stylize it yep. in the way that you want to do it. Exactly. And then you've got art. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. I just did a, um, like last week I did a, um, a tour to the primary school for three days. That would have been pretty fun. Yeah, I, it was. Uh, it was quite interesting, actually. I, I, it was. I was. Uh, my friend's daughter asked me to come in and do a talk, and I thought I'd go in and, and end up turning into a whole program. But yeah. um, but it was really fun, actually, because I taught. I, what I didn't teach them how to draw or how to paint or anything like that. What I taught them is um, is that uh, art's all about being an individual, and if you can be yourself. Um, you know, the, everyone on the planet is different, and is if you can sort of own your difference and be yourself, and just express that through your art, then you're being an you're artist. You're doing a great job at it. Yeah, exactly. I envy yeah. those um those little kids. I envy myself for not being able to live, you know, that grade three primary school art. Still, it's just I remember vividly being there, being uninhibited about what you wanted to create, and you just mm. go for it. You yeah. don't have any any other thought in your mind other than what you're making. Yeah, yeah. I did some drawing exercises with some of them, and um, you know, I put like little figurines in front of them and said, "Oh, you can draw that in any way you want to interpret." Like I did it like a presentation first to explain, you know, like that you can do whatever you want as an artist, and um, and then I put like a little dragon in front of this one kid, and he goes, "Oh, I don't want to draw a dragon." I said, "You don't have to draw a dragon." And he goes. Um, I want to draw a house. I said, cool, draw a house. I go, draw a house that's on fire because the dragon sneezed on it. And he's like, what, I can do that? I go, you can do whatever you want. I go, it's not maths. You don't have to get the... Get <laughs> the no black and white. You don't have to get the formula right. You know, it's not English. You don't have to spell the word right. It's art. You can, as long as that, 
pen touches the paper or the paintbrush touches the surface, That's you it. can't go wrong. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, this is the best class ever, you know. <laughs> Made his day. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. Because yeah. I know that's what that's what drew me towards art as a kid. Is I s- sucked at spelling, I sucked at reading, sucked at writing, wasn't good at maths, all yeah. that sort of stuff. I, I went to art class and it's like, oh, they're not telling me off. They're not telling me I'm shit. You know. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, cool. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not the reason I do it today. The reason I do it today is because I can't not do it because I love it. But, yeah. Um, but early, you know, early in my life, that's what drew me to the uh, art classes. Yeah. <laughs> so now that you're uh, you're in the studio every day, do you find you still get like um, attracted to sit sit at the computer? Like, do you find you're spending a lot of time at the computer? Apart from doing like organizing your um, you know your files to sort of produce artwork, like doing like I don't know stupid stuff. No, not at all. No. No. I'll I'll look up. Um stuff on the internet to research Mm. um different architects or you know where somewhere where i'm traveling so i can go and find buildings to go and photograph or stuff like that but um no all i want to do is just make art so Mm. it's um i think i get caught up in making art rather than getting caught up made it getting in on the computer and getting lost in that it just doesn't really appeal to me yeah yeah, but do you, do you have like a um, do you feel that you're wasting time on the computer sometimes? No, never. Yeah. No, I'll I'll be as quick and diligent as possible on the computer. Just short, sharp, get what I need done, and mm. then um, I'll shut it and straight into the art. Yeah, good stuff. I had a computer day today. I was hating it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My one day a week, I was I, just like. I actually man. hate set making invoices and sending them off. It's actually yeah. I find that kind of painful. Uh, it's just it's good to get paid, but it's yeah. they're just so dry to type yeah. out what you've sold and send it off and email and all that stuff, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've had to change my view on that as well because I was the same. as like, oh, I don't want to send these invoices. It's like, oh man, the invoices. This is what it's all about. You yeah. know, not, not what it's all about. It's all about creating the art. But then you know, the Getting byproduct of that and yeah. actually being able to you know, maintain a lifestyle on that. Mm. And I've I've started to change my focus on all those sort of things. It's like we got a um, a washing machine recently, and at the end of every load, it plays this song, this little jingle. Yeah, it sounds like a little Casio like sort of like watch or something like that but it, it, it's really loud and it echoes through the whole house and at first we were like oh no we bought this really annoying washing machine but then i thought back to when we were traveling and stuff and having to do all our washing by hand like in yeah. like guatemala and things like that just a bucket of water and soap and just scrubbing go, yeah. and that and i thought gee that sucked you know yeah. and then uh, and then we so now claire and i look at it as a celebration that we that, that, that we've got our clothes. modern convenience to uh, to um, wash our clothes for us. Yeah. And then so when we hear that song now, we're sort of like, oh, awesome! We didn't have to wash that ourselves. So you get an like, invoicing song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's just changing the way you look at everything, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know, you can you can whinge about it, or you can you can see it for what it really is, and go, oh, actually, it could be way worse than this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so anyway, all right, Tom, it's that time of the the interview. We're uh, going into the rapid fire questions. <laughs> get me with them yeah so name one artist you think deserves more shine one artist I think deserves more shine um I guess I was lucky enough to work with a bunch of people um as artists at Jardin and I think can I have two yeah go for it alright so the first one is um my studio buddy 
who's uh, Kane Alexander, is a um, photographer. He shoots out of a, a camera that he found when he was traveling because his digital SLR got stolen. And he bought this one down at the op shop and it creates the most beautiful double exposure um, landscapes that I've ever seen. Um, and I think he probably needs a bit of a, a bit of a shine. Was that due to, um, like, it's just how the camera works? And yeah, that's so just how, it just, how it comes it doesn't, out, The film just doesn't click over properly. Okay. So it was just like a, he got, he got went on this trip and um, lost his camera, got stolen, and he, he went there specifically to take photos. I think he was over in um, Patagonia or somewhere, somewhere crazy. He goes out to the mountains and does pretty crazy hikes and gets sunsets and landscapes and um yeah so he bought this camera from an op shop and then put some film in it came home processed it and turned out that it wasn't firing properly but it created this awesome series of work that um it actually sold quite well and um yeah he's on to other things doing sculptures and things now so what was his name Kane, Kane alexander okay. Kane alexander images i think his uh, instagram handle is cool and then the other one who probably doesn't want a shine, but I reckon he deserves one, is um, a guy that I also worked with called Toby Poller. And he creates um, these unbelievable timber sculptures. And he would do like a piece of clothing, that, like a t-shirt or a sweater. Um, does some broken arms with ciggies and stuff in them, which are pretty cool as well. And he's, he's already represented, but he um, is quite shy and um, low key. But I reckon his stuff is unbelievable. I've got one at my place, and um, it's just people don't believe that it's actually mm. made of timber. Like, yeah. It looks real. Ben Shuri's got one hanging up in the uh, office of Attica. Yeah, he bought it from um, where I used to work. Yeah. The Thrasher one, yeah? Yeah, yeah. and you, d you can't even tell that it's made of wood. Yeah. It's like, oh, so you've got a jumper on a coat hanger hanging yeah. on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like, what medium would you love to work with? It's um, a tough one for you, actually, because I uh, see you work with pretty much everything you want. Yeah, is um, is three D a medium? Of course it is. Yeah, so that's probably something I'm I'm trying to get into at the moment. In what what sense? Though? Um, creating three D um, sculpture, I guess. Yeah. So on the computer, creating a file that can then get manufactured into a certain object or. A sculpture eventually cool yeah that'd be interesting yeah I'd, I'm I'd... starting to work on it at the moment something that I'm I'm enjoying my brother does a lot of um, 3d animation for um, for TV and movies and stuff so learning a little bit from him learning a little bit from other people I sort of cross paths with and yeah cool and um what's one skill you wish you had 3d <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it's just a whole other world like I'm really good illustrator and photoshop and all the adobe package mm -hmm. um really competent in that but when it comes to 3d i just feel like a klutz so just trying to build up those skills and hopefully i can master that over the next couple of years yeah. good stuff and um who's your favorite artist uh favorite artist can i give you a dead and alive yeah go for it all right two um Dead, probably Howard Arkley. Um, I don't know, it seems pretty obvious with the artwork I do, and uh, it was never ever intended to do anything like him. Like I said before, there's a bunch of 
different mediums that all got worked on independently and came together at the end. Um, I guess the housing influence came from working with interiors and seeing a lot of cool projects and houses at my job um, and it just sort of formed that way. So he's definitely an inspiration. I actually remember studying him in year 10 art class and it just always sort of sat in the back of my mind about how vivid his paintings were and what they looked like. And you've seen them in person, I believe. Yeah, I have. Yeah. They're, um, they're just so striking when you see them mm. in real life. They're just so vivid and bright. And mm. I, don't I, just can't, I just don't know how he got those really long, perfect airbrush lines as well. I do. Yeah, he's very trick. Um, yeah, well, I don't know exactly because I've never spoken to him, but um, I've seen a couple of videos and I've, I have actually seen them up close and I believe the lines are actually multiple line work rather than one single line. Yeah, I, yeah, but just the length of them and the straightness of them. They are like, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you see them in person, it still blows me away. Not yeah. that I could ever do it, but... Um, yeah. Like, I know just through drawing and painting a lot that if I do a wobbly line, I just thicken it up and it, I just yeah. keep working it until yeah. it becomes straight. I think that's what he did as well. Yeah, but still, like, I don't know, there's... Just Some seeing them, his paintings up close, there's, like, these... You know, two meter long, perfect horizontal lines done yep. with airbrush. Yeah, they're, they're pretty insane. <laughs> Especially the grid ones when he's got like the multiple colors behind it, and it's just just line work. There, um, yeah, he's definitely a master. Mm. And then uh, alive, probably um, Michael Staniak would be one of my favorite artists. Lucky enough to have a couple of his pieces at home, um, and he's someone that I've caught up with from time to time just to have a bit of a chat about the art world and see what's going on. But he um, he works incredibly hard. He's got a really good um, drive to create work and exhibits all around the world. So um, he's a bit of a bit of a um, cool role model to look up to. And yeah, cool. does some cool art. Always get lost in his pieces when I see them in real life as well. Yeah, oh, awesome. And um, what advice would you give your younger self? What advice would you give my younger self? Um, I don't know. Just be curious and just make stuff. Don't, you know, don't hold back because you think it's the wrong thing to do or just explore and create whatever you want to create. Yeah. Like, so don't self-edit too much, right? Yeah. Just let it flow. I think so. Yeah. Um, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Mm. and um do you have a dream project dream project um yeah i wouldn't mind working on um a large hotel project so doing multiple works for a larger hotel um i think that would be quite fun creating a series specifically for a certain area or geographic region um with a certain theme and just doing like a whole bunch of work that gets seen all the time mm. uh, lives as a body as yeah, well yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, I know what you mean. It's like it's weird when you put to, put on an exhibition and you've done all that work to create like a body of work, and, and you're there for two have, or four weeks, and exactly, and then it all gets split up, and yeah. it's never to be a unit again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so where are you wanting to take your art career? Um, I think next thing for me is probably do some stuff up in Sydney. Um, speaking to a couple of galleries up there at the moment about maybe doing a solo show next year or early 2020 and um, after that 
probably looking to do something overseas, maybe America or over in Europe, going over to America at the end of the year this year to um, just go and speak to a few people that I've got connections with. So see where that leads, but um, definitely worldwide sort of um, stuff rather than just Melbourne-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that would get me travelling a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is always nice. I think it's important for an artist as well because yeah. there's only so many galleries and stuff in like, and then you think Melbourne, and then you think all the other states of Australia, and then you start looking beyond, and it's like you can run out pretty quickly if you think small. In a oh, small Australia is such a small country. Yeah, there's exactly. Limited population, um, and you know they're all in one small confined space in each city, and there's only really sort of two and a half big cities in in Australia. So. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. It's exciting to go overseas and do something else. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, and it's inspiring as well. Um, you probably get it from your travel. Mm. But I just got back from the Gold Coast on the weekend and um, just getting out of Melbourne, um, seeing different architecture up there has sort of inspired a whole bunch of different stuff that I'm starting to think about now. So um, God knows what I'm going to think of going overseas to Miami and Palm Springs and stuff, so... Yeah. Yeah, you're going to love it. Yeah, it should be good. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any um, future projects or plans in a pipeline? Future projects or plans? Um, nothing specific. Got a, a solo show next year um, at Metro. Um, that one's locked in. And then I'm um, looking to do something in Sydney, like I said before, hopefully um, next year or early the year after. So they're sort of the big two things other than that just juggling commissions and just trying to find my fate in the art world cool mm. you seem to be doing pretty well at the moment so far so good yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll keep it's a trajectory mate I yeah. can see it yeah it's um, I think the more more art you produce the more it gets out there the more people get familiar with your name and your work and yeah, yeah it's just a bit of a snowball effect yeah exactly like I you know I've been producing art since I was 16 years old in one form or another yeah and um, like I was looking at pieces I did two years ago, which aren't that different to what I'm doing now. Like I'm doing a lot of different things now, but they're still things that are similar, you know, that I could have easily made now. But the way I've approached the paintings back then were so, um, just so different mm. to now. Like I was, I was a scared, I was scared to do a wobbly line back then, whereas yeah. now I'll do a wobbly line and own it. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's like just through um, the process of doing more and more, it just naturally evolves. Yeah. You know, so um, so where's the best place for people to see your art online? Um, probably my Instagram. Update that the most. Um, I have got a website, which um is tomadair.com.au, and I've got a few bits and pieces on there. Um, but yeah, probably just my Instagram, which is tomadair, or one word underscore. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, been good to sit down and have a chat, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is like, even though we're shared studios and all that sort of stuff, I think it's the most we've actually sat down and chatted because we're usually just like staring at a painting. Yeah, painting it. Good <laughs> chit-chat here and there, but yeah. that's about it, yeah. Yeah, don't talk to me, I'm busy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> all right. Cool. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Bench Talk. To view images of the guest's artwork, follow us on Instagram at bench underscore talk or go to benchtalkpodcast.com. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes, subscribe via iTunes or follow Bench Talk on SoundCloud or Stitcher. If you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. And thanks again for tuning in, and stay tuned for next week's episode. See ya!